hearts this morning that we desperately need you. Father, we thank you that, that we are on your mind at all times. And I just pray, God, this morning that, that we would be able to lay aside the things that we carried in and lay them at your feet and believe that you are God who cares about every detail of our lives. Father, we think about Ken and Nicole Mullet this morning and Troy and Jessica, the Hots family and Mullet family who lost their uh, little premature baby this week. God, we just pray that, that your comfort would be with them, that they would sense the presence of Jesus. Knowing that that little Bo is in your presence and we'll see him again. Father, we want to, want to lift up Mike Hansen, who had a, a, a construction accident this weekend and, and, and is in desperate straits, Lord, in the hospital. We pray for your grace and your strength and your power and healing touch for him right now. We lift him up in agreement. Father, we thank you that there's no need that's too small or too large for you, that you care about everything. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would speak truth to us today, that we would be again reminded of how much you care for each and every one of us. And we pray that as we've been in your presence in worship now, that you would take the living word of God and you would change our lives because we've been here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever experienced the current of a rushing river? A rushing river. I remember as a kid about age nine, I think I was, trying to make it across a swollen creek on stepping stones and being absolutely shocked when I slipped and fell into the water, not only at the icy temperature of the water, but the power of this, this moving stream. The same surprise came when I tried to surf at Laguna Beach in California, and after being upended, which wasn't very long a time, I was thrown into three somersaults before having my face ground into the sand by the same wave. Or in the summer when we would water ski on, on the Columbia River and you could feel the power of the current while you're waiting to be pulled up by the boat, you can just feel this, this movement of this powerful river. Rivers of water are powerful and intimidating, and especially ha this happens especially if they're at flood stage. In ancient times, this was especially true. That's before they had power boats and pontoon bridges and those kinds of things. Well, last week in Joshua 2, we looked at an account of a woman named Rahab. Rahab was a heathen Canaanite. She was a prostitute who lived in Jericho at this point in time. And she believed God, she repented, and she actually entered into a covenant or a contract with God's people, Israel. We discovered that somehow this woman that was of ill repute mattered to God. She mattered to God, and God redeemed her and used her to do incredible things. In fact, we discovered she was the great, great grandmother of King David, through whom the Messiah, Jesus Christ, eventually came. We found that God can take anyone, no matter what our past is, no matter where we've failed, and he can create a future and make us 
useful human beings, full of dignity and value and purpose. Well, in today's account, as we move on, we find the whole nation of Israel standing before a formidable obstacle. It's the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River is just the first of many obstacles that stand in the way of their future, in the way of Israel occupying this land of promise. It, it's called a land of blessing. It's called a land flowing with milk and honey. And the land for them is possessing and experiencing all the blessings that God had for them. They had this incredible possession that they were going to be possessing. And the land for us represents individually and as a church experiencing and possessing all the blessings that God has intended for us. Everything. Now for 40 years the Israelites refused to cross over the Jordan River because of fear, because of unbelief, and because of rebellion. But that's history, that's, that's past. God wants them to move forward. And the first step forward for this people is to cross over the Jordan River. The Jordan River. The very important first step of faith for them is to become a crossover people. Becoming a crossover people. And I want us to turn to Joshua, the third chapter. It's on page 171 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. It'll also be on the projection as well. But we're going to read Joshua, the third chapter this morning. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shedem and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. Okay. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you'll know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Peritites, Gerasites, Amorites, Jebusites, etc. <laughs> I think, I th yeah, anyway. See, he says, see, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all his earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the waters from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the sea of the Arab and the Salt Sea was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on 
dry ground. For Israel, this was a crossover time. And if they were going to go forward, they had to become a crossover people. And as a church, I want us to look at what crossover times are and what it takes for us to also become crossover people. Let's start with crossover times. Roman numeral one, crossover times. It's spring in Israel and the Jordan River is at flood stage. And this is a huge obstacle. And, and God tells Joshua in verse four, you have never been this way before. See, crossover times bring new paths. They bring new paths, a new direction. If Israel had been down this road before, they would say, I know the way. I know how to get there. I don't, I don't need directions. I know what to do here. How many of you who are wives know your husband does not need directions? Anybody? Judy's hand is up, isn't it? <laughs> need directions, even if he's not been there before. Men typically will drive aimlessly for hours on end to find that house, that street address, or the restaurant, or whatever, because who needs directions? And we don't like using a GPS, because, because the voice on the GPS is the voice of a woman, and we don't want to listen to what a woman has to say. We don't want them telling us what to do. That, Men, it's crazy. Well, the, God, the reason God sends us in new paths is that so we realize we can't find it on our own. We haven't been there before. And then we need God's help. We need God's help. Ellen Redpath states, this new path illustrates the passing of a Christian from one level of Christian life to another. It marks the end of a self-life and the beginning of a Christ life. The end of life lived on the principle of effort and the beginning of life lived on the principles of faith and obedience. New paths, new paths. Somewhere we haven't been before. Has God called you on a new path? Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a change in occupation, a, a situation you haven't experienced before. Maybe you're going from work to retirement and your spouse says, please go back to work. If we've been there before, we say, I recognize this. I can handle this on my own. Thank you. So God brings us into crossover times, new paths, new directions, and new obstacles. And most of us are not comfortable when we're going one direction and God makes us change direction. Change doesn't come easy to any of us, and change, change is hard. As a church, we must be constantly changing because we have to adapt to our culture. We have to adapt, we have to change. Now, we don't change the message, we don't change scripture, we don't change doctrine, we don't change our core beliefs, but we must change. We've been through a lot of changes. We must change. Judy and I had the opportunity before we came here to serve as a transitional intern pastor at a church in Kansas. And we were there to bring change. We were sent there to bring change. And as we talked to the leadership, we discovered that they had made absolutely no changes in how they did church in over 40 years. They were doing the exact same schedule, exact same songs, exact. They were doing everything exactly as they had done for 40 years. 40 years. Now, many of the people in the congregation were, were professionals in, in nursing or healthcare and aerospace. There's a lot of airline manufacturing, they're in engineering and all kinds of things. And so I asked them, 
if they had experienced any changes in their occupations over the last 40 years. <laughs> what? Yeah, 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 they said, wow, yeah, we did. Technology, computerization, the advent of the internet, cell phones, smartphones, all the things. You know, they started talking about all the changes. In 40 years, it was an incredible amount of change in our, in our world, in the business, in manufacturing, everything that was done. And I said, and what changed here at church? They said, nothing, nothing. They got it. See, see, when change comes, we have three options. We can isolate from the culture, we can assimilate into the culture, or we can engage the culture, get in touch with it, understand it, confront, and relate to the culture. These people had pretty much isolated themselves from the culture, which can be the natural thing to do. Because when, when changes are so dramatic in our culture and society, we want something, just anything to remain the same. How many feel that way sometimes? Just something remains the same. And of course, they chose the church. They're gonna keep the church the same. Everything's changing out there, so we're gonna stay the same. And that would be fine if the church existed solely for itself. But it doesn't. Everything we are and do must be for those who are not yet here. We exist for those out there. Love God, love people. And our, our mission statement is to navigate life together, representing him well, helping encourage people to come into a, a, related, a relatedness and relationship with Jesus Christ. We are called to new paths, we're to new directions, to change. And we may need to change methods, we may need to change schedules, we may need to change paradigm, we may need to change technology, we may even need to change music. Now, that's always a hot button. John and Charles Wesley, Char uh, John Wesley, who's the namesake of the Wesleyan denomination, Wesleyan Church, they lived in the mid-1700s back in the 1700s. And you know what they faced back then? They, they, they were part of the Anglican church and they found that the music of the church was too staid and it didn't relate to the masses of people. So Charles Wesley primarily took existing pop tunes of the day and he put words to it and he basically wrote what we today know as hymns. They wrote new songs in the culture of the masses. Now the Church of England didn't like their informalism and how they operated, didn't like their music, didn't like their anything. So they wouldn't let them do any of that inside church buildings. So they held outdoor services, they called it field preaching. And so they went out to the masses. It's very interesting. So they went out and thousands and thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ because they used the music and methods that communicated to the masses and they got outside the building. That was a, probably a, an ingenious thing. That was over 250 years ago. Now, I think if Charles Wesley were alive today, he would say, what? You're still singing my songs? They're over 250 years old. <laughs> the music of the masses. What, what is the music of the masses? Rock, blues, jazz, pop, rap, and even, wait for it, country. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> sir. I'm sorry. I've, I've heard some godly country music. Yeah, that's good. 
Now, I, I grew up with hymns, and, and I, you know, I really enjoyed hymns when I was growing up, and, I, but I'm, and I'm a classically trained musician with a degree in music. I love classical music, Mozart, Bach, Beethoven, and Berlioz. But most people, unless they have an, a, a unique appreciation for classical music and understanding of it, have a degree in music, whatever, don't really connect with um, older music or classical music or hymns. Times change. See, crossover times bring new paths. Now, remember, theology never changes. God never changes. Methods of communication change. Styles change. Styles change. That's why we try to keep our weight under control so we can wear skinny jeans. Now, there's hope. I heard bell bottoms are making a call back, comeback. So just, just hang in there. It's going to be just a little longer, and then we can all be back in style uh, in whatever way. New paths. Uh, is it uncomfortable? Yes. But, we, but to go forward, we must go on new paths. We will have change. Crossover times also bring new challenges or new, new obstacles. The Jordan River was considered a great obstacle. It was spring, harvest time, and all the spring rains had come, and all the snow melted from Mount Hermon up north. Kyle and Delish say crossing the Jordan at this season was regarded as an extraordinary feat in ancient times. And it's mentioned as so in First Chronicles. Now, spies may have crossed it, but you're talking families with children and flocks and herds and possessions. Impossible. It's, a, it's an incredible challenge that was before the children of Israel. And you may be here today with a new challenge before you, a crossover time. Maybe it's a crisis. Do you know why God gives us new challenges instead of the same old ones? Yeah, we would think we'd be able to handle it on our own. I did this before. I don't need God. Thing is, God rarely gives us the same challenge twice. <laughs> God rarely gives us the same challenge twice. And new challenges can be frightening. A health crisis or parenting crisis. I've never been here before. A, a challenging work relationship, a painful relationship breakup, a difficult divorce, death in the family, business risk, a difficult relative. How do I handle this new challenge, whether it's financial failure or financial success pushed into a, an altered lifestyle? Where should I attend college? What, what is my career choice? What am I going to do once I graduate? I have a degree. What in the world am I going to do with it? I don't know. How many of you ever face that? Say, I got a degree. Now what? What am I? Okay. That's good. Where should I live? And then choosing of that all-important life partner. Some people are dealing with that. It's so confusing. But that's okay because even the wisest man on earth, Solomon, couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I always think that, you know, when people ask me questions about dating and all this, it's like, you know what? Um, Solomon didn't always know what was going on either. So that's okay. Great encouragement. We need God. Uh, the question, do I really have to marry his family too? You know, those are questions I get asked. Life is all about constant change, new paths, and new challenges. Crossover times also bring new circumstances, closely related. The Canaanite peoples were involved in all kinds of things. Not only did Israel face physical warfare, they also faced spiritual warfare. Now, when we, when we finish this series in Joshua, I'm going to do a series on spiritual warfare because people have a lot of misconceptions. They're not sure exactly what that means. But spiritual warfare. Canaanites were involved in witchcraft, child sacrifices to demon gods, every kind of immorality imaginable. 
spiritual battles. And they were new, they were different, they were challenging. Well, today, we have a lot of spiritual challenges as Eau Claire Wesleyan Church. Who would have thought 20 years ago that we would be in a battle over the definition of marriage? Seriously? 20 years ago. It wasn't even in our minds. Who would have thought that we would be challenged on the scientific fact that there are two genders, male and female? Scientific fact, not opinion, it's fact. That good would be called evil and evil good. Who would have thought that Eau Claire would be second in the nation per capita in drunkenness? That we would have rampant drug abuse and addiction, internet pornography available on smartphones to eight-year-old kids? Who would have thought that the governors in the state of New York and Virginia would advocate and one, pass the law legalizing infanticide and celebrating that sin with a decoration on top of the tallest building on the East Coast. How do we as people go forward? How do we as a church move forward? How do we become a crossover people in the middle of these challenges? Joshua 3.10 says, this is how you will know that the living God is among you and he will certainly drive out before you all of these peoples. How do we know? We see the hand of God. We see the hand of God. And it ha it's a spiritual battle. There's nothing, we ought to be involved in political activism. We ought to be involved in public policy since it affects every one of us. But it's about prayer. It's about fasting. It's about spiritual warfare. And when we do that, we don't drive the enemy out. God does. It says God will dispossess the enemy God will dispossess the godless. Crossover times, we got them. Obstacles, new paths, new challenges, they're in front of us. And crossover times call for a crossover people. Crossover people. The title of this series is Choose to Stand. Choose to Stand. And I'm pro-choice. That just woke everybody up. Not the way it's been skewed to say we're pro-abortion. That's a, that's a cultural thing. I'm pro-choice because God's pro-choice. God created human beings with a free will. We get to choose. We choose. We choose. God made us with a choice. But in order to make a real choice, we have to have all the truth. If you conceal any part of the truth, I do not really have a choice. We need to have all the truth in order to really choose. All the truth. A true choice gives the whole truth. For example, the counseling censorship law passed by our city council is intended to give people experiencing gender confusion a choice. A choice, but it doesn't. Why? A true choice gives the whole truth, the whole truth, and the law as passed restricts counselors to give only one opinion, not based on science or fact, but based on feelings, based on feelings. If you're not aware of this, you need to be. A paid counselor in Eau Claire cannot legally give all the facts to a minor. 
only the opinion that if a person is ambivalent about their sex, they must be counseled to change gender. They cannot be counseled to return to their biological sex. They can only be counseled. So if you have any ambivalence about your gender, the only thing a paid counselor can say to a minor is you need to keep going that direction and change your gender. That's the law in Eau Claire. Okay, now, I don't think it's gonna stay that way, but we'll talk more about that later. If we are truly pro-choice, we will give the counselee all the facts, all the truth, and then they can make an informed choice. We all choose, God made us to choose, it's free will. But don't hide facts, the truth. 85 to 90% of young people who experience gender confusion outgrow it. Let me say that again. 85 to 90% of young people who experience gender confusion outgrow it without any intervention at all. Without any intervention at all. But when you intervene and you begin to insert this stuff, then it confuses them. And did you know that the law can take that child away from you? You have no parental authority. And they can give that child drugs and change their sexual orientation or whatever it is. And parents can't do anything about it. That's the law. That's the law. In order to become a crossover people, we must choose to stand. We, we have a choice. We have a choice. Are we going to stand? It's a spiritual battle in the heavenlies. Now, three choices we must make, three actions we must take. First one is to follow God, follow God. God had given Joshua a command, which he in turn communicated to the people. Very simple three things. The same three things we're told when we're crossing a railroad tracks. Stop, listen, and look, okay? Stop, listen, and look. Did you guys get the same advice as a kid? Stop, listen, and look, street, railroad tracks, whatever that is, yeah. Stop means to wait, number one. Israel had to stop and wait for God to do his water thing. His water, what is the water thing? Well, <clears throat> the water thing, he did that at the Red Sea. Remember the water thing? He did this. He was going to do it at the Jordan. He going to do Elijah and Elisha, he did his water thing. Yeah, it's kind of this dividing the water. They had to wait for God to do that. And, and following God in crossover times begins by stopping and waiting on God. Sometimes we have to stop and just wait on God to do his thing, waiting on God. If you watch a skilled running back in football, a skilled running back runs smart. He waits patiently for those holes to open up on, on the field so he can run through. Otherwise, you see the unexperienced running backs run into their own blockers and they try to get through the hole that's not there. Yeah, yeah. You know, you watch a skilled running back waiting on the holes to open up. It's all about timing. Timing is everything. And God has a timetable. God has a schedule. His timing is perfect. And sometimes we just have to wait. Wait. Stop and, and just wait. I, I hate to wait. I, I'll drive five miles out of my way to avoid waiting at a stoplight. At least I'm moving. You know, that's kind of what I do. Well, Israel had to wait for God's timing. And the question is, was, was God's timing off here? Wouldn't it be better to wait until August when the river was easy to cross? 
Isn't that a logical question? Why during flood stage? Why would he have him do that? No, God's timing is perfect. God's timing for the crossing was when it was impossible. So he could show his impossible power. He said, I'm going to wait till it's impossible, and then I'm going to do my water thing. Sometimes God calls on us to stop and wait until our obstacle is impossible to cross. Then he says, go. Then we need God. Then we need a miracle. We can't do it on our own. So stop, wait. Number two is listen and pray. He said in verse 9, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. A large part of prayer is listening, or, or, or it should be. It should be. Do you ever have a conversation with someone and they do all the talking? Can't get a word in? Sure. That's not real communication. Prayer is two-way communication. Listen to God. When in crossover times in crisis, let's not just rattle off at the mouth. Stop and listen, too. We need to listen to God. And you know what? Sometimes that just takes time. It takes quiet. It takes time with God. Stop and listen. How does God speak? A lot of different ways, but he speaks through the word of God. He speaks through other people. He speaks through a message or sermon, Bible teaching. We're called to stop and listen. Listen to God. And thirdly, there's the look. And this describes faith. Verse 3 says, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. The look of faith. The ark of God was to go ahead of the people. The ark, the ark was the visible representation of the presence of God. The visible representation of the, the invisible God. And every one of the two and a half million people were supposed to have a personal view of the ark and what happened to it. This is look at God. Look at God. If you're to cross over safely, look at God. If, if before you is an impossible obstacle, look at God. Look at God. Don't look at the river. Look at God. Don't look at your obstacle, your circumstance, your challenge. Look at God. Faith is looking at God. Faith is looking at God. Therein lies the power of worship. What do we do when we come in and we sing songs about God, about Jesus? Look at God. The power of, of worship is it causes us to look at God. We're not just having a religious exercise or just singing songs. We're singing to God. We're turning our eyes looking at God. Therein lies the power of praise because we look at God and praise him. Verse 11 says, See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. God is the ruler of the whole universe. He says, look at God. Look at God. That is the essence of faith. In the New Testament account, when the disciples were in a storm on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus gave Peter permission to walk on, on the sea, Peter just was naive enough to believe maybe he could walk on water, and he did. He got on, he walked on water, and he was doing great. He was looking at, looking at Jesus. Then, then what did he do? started looking at the waves and the water and said, 
this shouldn't be happening. And he's looking at the obstacle instead of Jesus, and he sank and started to drown. See, what we do is we take our eyes off of Jesus. Instead of looking at God, we start looking at the obstacle. We start looking at the waves. We say, this should be impossible. In crossover times, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. So follow God. Follow God. And then letter B was consecrate yourselves. Consecrate. When entering crossover times, become a crossover people. It says, I want you to consecrate yourselves. In verse 5, he says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. What, is, what does it mean to consecrate? Consecrate. Consecration involves examination, number one. Examination is letting God's light shine into our hearts, the inner recesses, the dark chamber. Let God examine our thoughts, our motives, and our heart. Just be open to be God. Say, God, search me. Uh, the psalmist said it this way in Psalm 139, 23, 24, one of my favorite passages. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When we're in crossover times as a church, as individuals, it's crucial to examine our hearts and allow God to search it out. Then consecration brings us to confession. Confession, number two. The purpose of examination is for God to point out areas that need attention. Okay? That's why we don't like to do that, because he always points out areas that need attention. We say, God, examine me. Oh, no, 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 I didn't mean that. And he shows us things that need attention so that we can confess them. Confession. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. A verse we ought to memorize and use every single day. Somebody described it as spiritual breathing. Um, when we breathe out, we breathe out the bad, the carbon dioxide and all that stuff. And then we breathe in the, the oxygen. Breathe out, breathe in. Confession is breathing out. Then we breathe in and appropriate the forgiveness. And I don't know about you, I breathe a lot every day. You know, in and out, I breathe, you know, quite often. And, and, and if I don't, it, it, the, the stuff inside is going to kill me. And if we don't spiritually breathe and confess our sins and appropriate that forgiveness, sometimes many times a day, it'll kill us spiritually. So spiritually breathe. Confess our sins. Confession is part of that. Then there's purification. After confession, we're made pure. God does this. It's God's action. God calls us to holiness and rightness or right relationship with God. Spiritual purification is allowing God to clean our hearts, turning in trust and obedience and submission to the Lordship of Jesus. We submit to him. He makes us pure. These are crossover times. These are crossover people consecrating ourselves. Now, why? Because tomorrow, he says, God's going to do great things. God has this great plan for you in 2019. God's going to do great things, new things. Follow God, consecrate yourselves, and finally, let her see, follow courageous leadership. Verse 13 says, as soon as the priests who carried the ark of the Lord, Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. That's a heap of water. Have you ever seen a heap of water? I, I, would, I would love to see a heap of water. Sit up in a heap. There's courageous leadership. But before the people follow courageous leadership, there has to be 
courageous leaders. There's a dearth of courageous leaders today in our homes and churches in our government. Fear dominates. They look at the Jordan River. Faith is looking at God as greater. And note this, the leaders. The leaders had to take a step of faith, looking to God, believing that he would do what he said he would do. They had to actually step into the water. Courageous leaders go first. They step into the water. They had to go up front. And, and I, 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 can, I can imagine some of those guys with the ark saying, is, is this really going to work? We're going to really look stupid. I'm going to ruin my new Nikes. You know, I, I'm sure there are all kinds of things that went through their mind. But they actually had to step in before God stopped. They had to step in before God stopped. Step in. Leaders must lead. And God has called many of you to leadership, and it can be in many different ways. Leading children can be on the board. It can be you know, a trustee. It can be working with, with student ministries. It can be leading worship. It can be many different things. God calls on us to lead. And it could be leading your home, leading your family. Everything rises and falls on leadership. I think John Maxwell said that. If he didn't, he should have. Everything rises and falls on leadership. But leadership starts in the home, in the home. Fathers, husbands, are you leading? I'm not just talking about controlling the remote and deciding which program to watch. I'm talking about real leadership. Many homes are in chaos today because a husband or father has abdicated his role. And I didn't say the man is the head of the household. God said that. And every institution, the home, the family, the church, a platoon or battalion in the army, the school, a, a government agency, a football team, basketball team, classroom, a choir, all of those things are a reflection of its leadership. It's a reflection of your, your leadership. Now, I, I don't like that at times because if I'm not presenting good leadership in the home, it's going to reflect. Do you like what you see? We are called to exert godly spiritual leadership. Is leadership passive or passionate? Is our leadership assertive or hesitant? Is it loving? Is it gentle? The group we lead will reflect our leadership. It's a great responsibility. Don't abdicate it. Take charge of it. And of course, the second part of following courageous leadership is followership. We need discerning, godly, supportive followers. But we're out of time today. Crossover times. We're there as a nation, as a city, as families. God needs a crossover of people. When that happens, the impossible is accomplished. God dried up the river they stood on and crossed over on firm, dry ground. It's up to you. Choose to stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave us a, a realistic picture of the issues that they were dealing with. And I pray, God, today that you would challenge us to become crossover peoples because we are most incredibly in crossover times. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would 
Make us a people after your own heart. And God, that we would make the choices to, to choose to stand. We'd look at you in faith in the middle of impossible situations and say, I'm going to choose to stand. As for me and my house, we're going to choose to stand. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand, shall we? just want to welcome anybody who's here for the very first time and invite you to fill out the Connect card. And uh, if you fill that out and you put it in the offering box on the way out, we'll send you a free Caribou Coffee card uh, for your putting that in. Just want to call your attention to uh, the Work as Worship Retreat, which is this Saturday. I, people have asked me a lot of questions of what that is about, so I want to read uh, what that's about. What is the Work as Worship Retreat? It's a day of encouragement to challenge us to view everything that we do as acts of worship. Whether you're a business profession, a professional, a tradesman, a student, a retiree, or stay-at-home mom, what you do and how you do it matters to God. The event is going to be simulcast of business professions and uh, ministry leaders sharing their heart, including seeing what God honors in everything they do. The cost is $30 per person, and you can, the only way you can register is east, on the website, ecwesleyan.net. Uh, the cost is $30. Um, we actually, one of the presenters is, is a classmate of our daughter uh, from high school. Uh, that's Megan Alexander. She's a correspondent Inside Edition. If you ever see her on TV, it's uh, our daughters went to high school with her. So anyway, but if you want to do that, please go online. If you have any detailed questions about that, uh, see Pastor Damien uh, in regarding that. Just also want to encourage you to keep the Mullet family, as I prayed earlier, uh, Kenneth and Nicole Mullet lost their son, Bo Lee, he was born premature at 23 weeks um, on February 8th and passed away on February 11th. And funeral services are tomorrow um, at 11 o'clock right here in the church. Please be in prayer. Um, tough time for the entire family, for Troy and Jessica Hotz, the Hotz and Mullet family. Just please be in prayer for them. And, and if you are available tomorrow to show your support, uh, 11 o'clock, the memorial service will be right here. Let's stand, shall we, as we are dismissed with the benediction. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Dismissed.